Welcome to the Female Founder Squad podcast. My name is Zoe Evans, and today we are thrilled to have with us Jacqueline de Rojas, CBE and President of Tech UK, along with her friend Sahar Hashimi, OBE, co-founder of Coffee Republic, founder of Skinny Candy, and best-selling author and speaker. Welcome, ladies, and thank you for joining us for what is our very first podcast. So I was really interested to hear that you guys have been friends and have been friends for a while. Can you tell us how you first met? So we are part of what we probably would refer to as the sisterhood. We Our paths cross a lot during technology events, business events, certainly events that support diversity and inclusion. I can't even remember how, how many years we've known each other, but what, what I do know is that we are part of each other's tribe. And that that really matters when you're an advocate for diversity and inclusion, which we both are. And it really matters because you know, we are fortunate to have made our way in business uh, and in tech for me. And you know, our job now is to get other women uh, and minority voices to the start line so that they can run their own 100 meter race. And we're very excited about the opportunity to do that. You'll probably hear later that we are trying to find a way to develop our thinking on how we can support female founders going forward. So, yeah, great. Okay, I'm interested to hear about that. Both of you had such interesting and pioneering careers. Can you tell us a little bit about your backgrounds in tech and entrepreneurship and explain how those backgrounds have shaped your current roles and passions? Gosh, okay. I, I mean, I start, I mean, my background in a way, I don't think I've got a background in entrepreneurship, interestingly, because, um, you know, I started my career exactly the opposite. I mean, I would have never remotely thought I was a sort of entrepreneurial candidate because I think when I was growing up in the 80s, the image of the entrepreneur was very much someone, you know, very left field. Definitely, I think it would have been a school dropout, you know, perhaps someone super creative, you know, better in the more arty stuff and there was nothing creative about me I don't think I showed any sort of leadership skills that would stand out you know so I was very ordinary in that way so I never thought entrepreneurship was an option for me and I therefore I became a solicitor so you know I had a completely sort of corporate background and I was a corporate solicitor for five years and I sort of stumbled upon entrepreneurship because I stumbled upon an idea and the idea turned me into an entrepreneur, which is why, you know, I wrote my book, Anyone Can Do It, is the idea that you don't start off as an entrepreneur. You know, you don't go asking yourself, am I an entrepreneur or not? Can I do this? Actually, all you've got to do is once you've got the idea, you sort of go on the journey and that from A to, you know, making the idea happen, that turns you into an entrepreneur. And that's exactly what happened to me. Entrepreneurship was in a way a process. I had yeah. to follow that process as a very ordinary person. And in following that process, I happened to become an entrepreneur, which I think that's why it's really simple. And I believe um, anyone can do it. Yeah. And actually, when I read your book, what I found really, really interesting was I was so bought into the book because when you have your actual business plan and your drawings, which are hilarious, you know, the guy who told you that you can never make uh, coffee a, a, a thing in the UK because we're tea drinkers and you've got drawing with pins coming out. That's hilarious. And I'm like reading the book, willing you to find your first 
space. You know, <laughs> come on, this has been seven months. And I was so bought into it. It was hilarious. And your description of some of the cafes with too much linoleum and too much grease. And, 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 we've all been and, and that's, that's the story of every entrepreneur. I remember yeah. when I when I first wrote it, actually, Anita Roddick, um, Damon Anita Roddick, the founder of Body Shop, she said to me, you know, it's my story. It's the same story yeah. for everyone. And I think yeah. every entrepreneur, big and small, they completely relate to that story because it's a, we all have exactly the same story from, you know, yeah. obstacles, idea, you know, everyone against you and you finally make it happen. It's a sort of hero yeah. journey in a way. It is, it is. Jacqueline, what about you? Well, I'm listening and I, I love listening to Sahar's story because it is everyone's story, actually. Mine, mine slightly differently manifested, but it is a story of hurdles and of knocking them down and of survival. So compromised family background, no money, violent father with a gambling habit. My mother had a black eye every week. So and mixed race family in the 60s, very hard to um, find anyone that looked like me, actually half Chinese kid in the playground in a, in a Catholic school, very tricky. By the time I was eight, my mother had fled married my stepfather, which was good for her, not so great for me. And, you know, I think my childhood was largely spent trying to be invisible. And then I was suddenly given my O-level results, GCSEs to the young people listening. And my stepfather snatched the envelope out of my hands and said, he wasn't a very educated man. He said, what are you trying to do? Are you trying to show me up? And it was honestly a fork in the road at that moment where I decided, you know, I could be like him and fly under the radar my whole life, or I could show him how much potential I could unlock. And I honestly have have spent my life powered by him, actually, because role models can be good or bad, right? Powered by that to become the best version of myself. And it's really interesting because when I was... When I did go to Buckingham Palace and, and Prince William gave me my Queen's Honour, yes. I was so overwhelmed. It was very emotional, so I will tell you. But I ordered a replica of my CBE and I gave it to my stepfather. And for me, that was clo- closure. It was closure, not in a mean way. It was just, it was like over and finished and done. And I, you know, there's something around that story of hurdles and overcoming hurdles so that you can run your best race. That's all of our story. And, and you know, Sahara and I find this, ourselves in this world now where we're thinking, gosh, we, we're in the middle of a pandemic. Lots of people have been furloughed, women disproportionately so, actually. And now we're asking ourselves the question, you know, why go and get a job when you can create one? And that's the kind of female founder support where we're noodling on at the moment. And it's, again, it will be their story of hurdles and survival and then thriving, which is very exciting. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Because the drivers that we have when we're younger, you know, I know Sahar, I read the book that your dad died in 1993, which was a paradigm shift, you said, for you. And that was a really big driver for you. You you came out of your law career, you knew that that wasn't for you. And I loved in your TED talk, you said, I was far too positive and enthusiastic to have a law career. I laughed out loud at that because I had a 23 year law career. And that's exactly how I felt about it. (laughs) 
but unfortunately I stayed 23 years but it's funny how you know these drivers in your childhood and then when you're a bit older and for you Sahara they just drive you on you know I had the same thing I had a father who was an alcoholic and he ended up setting our house on fire and we literally left us with nothing but you know these are your, just your drivers and, and, and women I think use these things so much more to power them on and I think that's what gives us our complete determination and perseverance to do it it's, it's all about resilience for women isn't it I think it is and also just coming to that sharing of our vulnerabilities which sounded very easy then by the way you know we lose a parent we have an alcoholic father we have a violent father all of it sounds very easy because we're at a stage in life when our vulnerability is our fortress sure but then it wasn't was it you know there was a time where I couldn't share anything I was so embarrassed and felt I was from a girl from the wrong side of the tracks or just you know didn't want to share that now the best thing we can do is to you know cut ourselves loose from the baggage and also share it because you know who knew that we all had tricky back you know who knew that but by sharing it somehow is also a connection it's it's that tribal thing too isn't it that's true the word that came to me was vulnerability and Mm -hmm. courage that we have and the privilege i think we have now as women to be able to show that vulnerability and not hide it and i think this is like the big woman's movement that i'm really excited about because you know when i actually think about my parents generation you know work was very detached very impersonal almost inhuman you know just Mm -hmm. that you had to that's how the power suits came in you know a woman had to wear a power suit so you looked like a man it was uniformity it was you know you couldn't show I mean you know I remember like in my dad and my dad was a real corporate person you know showing emotion was the most unprofessional thing at work your personal story was completely irrelevant the heart bit was something which actually was really bad I mean you know you, you weren't good at your job and I think this is what's really changed in this day and day and age and that is why it is such a golden moment for women and about us embracing it and that's what Jacqueline and I are really excited about really showcasing this because you know enough of the you know we can't be like them and these are the obstacles for us no if there's a whole world out there that is actually playing right into a lot of the qualities that I think genetically we are blessed with you know, there's a whole argument about whether or not there are feminine qualities or male qualities. But, you know, I think, you know, a lot of women share a lot of vulnerability being one that sort of are multi-taught. A lot of qualities that I think just are naturally feminine qualities are really needed in business. So, you know, what better time? That's why it is the golden opportunity, I think, for entrepreneurs yeah. for women. I know that you're right. And it's so interesting. I remember reading something on you, Jacqueline, it said, you know, you, you went to Germany for to university in Germany and then you came back and you felt like the tech career sort of chose you rather than you choosing it. And early on in your career, you were sort of this alpha female, you know, and because you felt that that's what you needed to do to, to, to succeed. And, and it was having this sort of um, reflection that actually you realized you didn't need to do that and you, you could be yourself and, and really bring yourself to your roles. And that's where you found you, you were most successful. The question that I have here is, in that sort of career that you've had through tech and, and that journey you've had, have you seen it evolve in that sense? You know, have you seen more women doing that or still taking the alpha role in a sense? Or do you still feel that there's a, there's a lot of women that need to have that sort of reflection and start to bring the, their whole self to, to their positions? I think certainly my generation, the 
and maybe it's also true now. I think it's useful for people who are listening to reflect on whether the need to fit in is so strong that you will compromise who you are in the workplace. I think it's probably true that we will do anything to fit in. But I will say, as you, perhaps it's it's more gray hairs, I don't know, that as you get more confident, and I do think the next generation is more confident, actually, because there seems to be more space to stretch and to be yourself. But it, it took me 10 years to realize that I was always going to be disappointed, that I was going to be an angry feminist banging my head against the glass ceiling. Not because not because I was a woman in a man's world, but that I was a woman trying to be a man in a man's world. Yeah. And my own self-limiting belief was that you had to be a man to make it. And so we do have these stories in our heads about what we believe is going to make you win it's like you're conditioned to think that way i think we don't challenge the conditioning although i do believe the next generation challenges certainly more than i did but i think life does get a lot simpler when you bring your authentic self because you know under pressure the real self your real self always shows up yeah. And that, that's something you're a huge advocate for, Sahar, isn't it? I saw you, one of the TED Talks that you did, and, and you were very much about bring your whole self. You know, that entrepreneurship isn't necessarily about the skill or being that person. It's about being you and bringing your, your authentic self to, yeah. to that. And I think it's very interesting, exactly what Jacqueline said. For me, I suppose, just reflecting as she was saying it, was what was lucky for me was I was in the corporate world for five years in this law firm. And then I just branched off into to this kooky world of entrepreneurship. And it was at that time, you know, I, I was very young. I was only, I'm now thinking I'm 26 or 27. And so, you know, when you enter the kooky world where it doesn't matter who you are, it's all about your idea and you making that idea happen, it sort of gives you the confidence to sort of very much be yourself. Because, you know, the thing about entrepreneurship is um, that you have no other resource. So you have to use everything you've got. Do you know what I mean? So you have to pull out, you know, every single bit of talent and capacity you've got to make it happen and that's how you use 100% yourself because there's nothing else to fall back on there's yeah. no job title there's no boss to go to there's no there's just nothing you just got to go in there go like so therefore it's this sort of almost it's kind of you, you get to know about yourself quite a bit because you just realize you've got to go in there and etch every single you know what I mean squeeze every bit out of that lemon that there is and I think yeah. in a way I was lucky and so you know unlike Jacqueline actually that's why I admire her and I, I, I love kind of her perspective is you know she, she stayed for a long time in that corporate world and had to kind of fit in and had to make her own and it's even more admirable she had to sort of make her own personality in a world where there wasn't that much space but for me I was you know on a, on a literally in the middle of an open football field so I mean I couldn't make it how it was in a way and I think that's what's interesting as well. You were so young, you're 26. Your brother's, is he four years older than you? Yes, exactly. So at 26, and it was around, what, 1993, 94, you guys started Coffee Republic. 
And so I can imagine there would have been many or a lot of female entrepreneurs around that time. I know now there's one one in three entrepreneurs are female in the UK. But around the early 90s, I can imagine there would have been a huge amount of um, females to aspire to in that in that sector, right? Uh, to be honest with you, I mean, so there was no one, honestly. Yeah. I mean, there was Richard Branson that you thought about. Um, yeah. I, I'm not even sure if I knew about Anita Rolick. I mean, I think you slightly knew about her, but then she was more flying the flag of sort of the environmental stuff so you associated her with that um, yeah you know I mean there wasn't really anyone else to be I mean I just I can't think of of, 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 of anyone else and that you didn't get exposed to other people's stories as much so yeah in a way it was just, it was just a bit unknown I just remember I mean you know my only motivation was this niggling idea I had that I don't think you know I, I was a very good lawyer and it wasn't coming naturally to me and I wasn't really shining and I just remember going to my uh, my cousin's um, husband. They lived in um, San Diego. He was the first entrepreneur I ever saw. And I remember going to his office and it looked like he was having a lot of fun and it looked quite free. And I just remember yeah. that little thing was, oh, this looks nice. And I, I didn't make the connection, but I remember thinking, well, th- this looks a bit more fun than what I'm used to. But I just remember distinctly that, that, that thing, but that was it. Yeah. And some of a really interesting figure I found in doing some research for this was there's 252 million female founders globally. And I was like, wow, that's wow. huge. I hadn't realized. But then, you know, this recent report came out at the end of last year that said there was 250 billion pounds worth of value untapped in the UK economy because of the gender gap. Do you still see that, or both, for both of you, I guess, what are the... If there's so much untapped value there, but globally there's, there sounds like such a huge amount of female founders. What's the barriers to entry, and, and have they differed, Sahar, from when from when you started and in your experience, Jacqueline? You know, what do we see as the barriers to entry if there's so much untapped value there? Why are we not? Why is there not more women going for it? I don't quite know what's going on, but I do know that we have to keep diversity inclusion at the forefront of our economic recovery because 66% of all jobs in this country come from small business and we tend to solve for large businesses so Mm -hmm. if we've got all of these female founded businesses we're going to have to find a way to support them I think one of the things in the UK which is different from the US is that we don't embrace failure terribly well whereas if you look at Israel, as an example, their VCs or their investors will not invest in any entrepreneur who hasn't failed at least three times. And so, you know, there is something about that, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. And I'll come in from a different angle, actually, on this is I think um, a huge barrier a bit is for me around confidence. And I was just about to say that, Sahar, yeah. you're so right. Um, it's around confidence. And when one week I've actually got in front of me the statistic from Alison Rose, who's now the, the CEO of NatWest, did the Rose review on entrepreneurship. And it's yeah. astounding to think, you know, when we think women have lower confidence, is 39% of women versus 55% of men think what they have. So think that they've yeah. got what it takes. So imagine yeah. like 55% of men thinking, you know what, 
I've got an idea, I can do it. And yet that's only 39% of women. And that's why. So for me, I, I actually don't think there are barriers because I don't think that, I mean, that, that this is probably would be very un-PC to say it, but there's not a whole gang of, you know, wannabe entrepreneurs who are just not getting the funding, which is why they're not going for it. You know, women are just not taking the leap because, you know, a couple of problems, of course, is, you know, undoubtedly even worse because of COVID is, the, you know, the, the primary care responsibilities made even worse, like children, parents, you know, that's been obviously exasperated by COVID. But I think it's just generally, this women are just not taking the leap. We don't have enough role models. We still see that kind of seeming. And, and I think, you know, there's some incredible women role models around. And yet I don't think we're shouting about them enough for the rooftops because I can see the younger generation, you know, they're not looking at these lights enough. You know, they're still seeing obstacles. You know, we still have all these issues about, you know, girls, young girls coming through, you know, it's still the Instagram world of them, you know, what they look like versus what they've accomplished. Yeah. I think, I think that there's a lot to it. And that's the sort of project Jacqueline and I working on is, you know, how can we inspire women more to take the leap? Because, yeah. you know, I've, I've never met a woman who's not strong, you know, mm-hmm. never met a woman who hasn't got what it takes yeah. It's all in our heads, you know, this whole fear, this whole inability. It's just, you know, you can, if you untap a woman, if you unleash a woman's potentials, my God, it's it just yeah. limitless. Yeah, you're you're right. And, and I agree. I think it, it's definitely a confidence thing. I read the same report and, it, and the confidence is that sort of imposter syndrome as well. You know, it's it's just not feeling worthy or, or, or the, the confident enough to, to take that leap, which is it's just quite scary. And just as you were speaking there about the role models, one of the questions I had was, you know, given all of the titles and awards you guys have had, I mean, the list was endless when I was writing them all down. I was like, wow, 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 wow. And it's so important. It's this, you can't can't be what you can't see. I love that. You can't be what you can't see. I've never heard that's beautiful. Lovely. Yeah. Oh, I wish I could claim it, but it wasn't me. <laughs> I've never heard that before. But yeah, it, it's definitely one of these things that the more women like yourselves who are, you know, given these CBEs, OBEs, most influential, was, you know, all of these titles that perhaps, you know, we might be too modest to say, but they are really important in a sense because you are sort of paving the way for girls and women to see actually these these are the women who are doing it they have they're before us and they're doing it and they did it and they took the leap and they jumped and they and the net caught them you know and i'll get onto that quote of yours soon sahara that was one of my quotes for you but yeah sorry i've got to interrupt i was speaking to someone else who's of the generation of myself and jacqueline and we were saying actually maybe the reason why we are driven and confident is because when we were growing up in those um formative years we had a Miss, mrs thatcher as prime minister well when we were growing up you know the thing about margaret thatcher was she never said oh god look i'm finally a woman prime minister and i want to motivate women you know i was just growing up in a world where the woman just happened to be her gender happened to be female so that yeah. somehow has gone into my psyche I, where is the obstacle and i think yeah. in a funny way we've actually almost gone back on that you know i mean we've yeah. progressed sort of we haven't really advanced i think i was better off when i was growing up in the 80s 
Yeah, I know, and and that's 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 why it's it's really it's really interesting nowadays. I think because if you think of the the feminist movement back in the sixties and the seventies, you know these women sort of they went out and and they they demanded equality and the right to vote, and and okay, they did it a little bit more militantly, but there seems to be now a sort of negative connotation around the word feminism, and there's a sort of we're all a bit too scared to say the F word, and it's it, it, and I think not having those role models who speak that and say it's okay this is we just want equality there's nothing militant about it we're simply feminism equals equality and having role models who who will speak up about things like that are so important don't you think definitely i think you know it's not about it it's about widening the gate not lowering the bar and yeah. that's really important because our job is to elevate women to be senior leaders. That's that's who we are these days. We're advocates for diversity and inclusion. We care about role models. You know, if, if you consider that in 1995, there were no women, none in the Fortune 500 CEO position, zero. In 2017, there were 31. Yeah. And in 2019, there were 34. So my question is, is it progress to take 24 years to recruit 34 female leaders? Honestly, yeah. try harder. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, and then you overlay ethnicity on top of that. Yeah. You know, we've got one black female leader. And you think, wow, if yeah. at the top of U.S. Fortune 500 businesses, you've got a handful of female role models, then, you know, honestly, there's virtually nothing to see here. And, and and we are operating in a world which is so biased that we can no longer see it. And that's the bit that we have to keep pointing out because, you know, everyone says, you know, let's, let's make it right for the women. Let's give the women mentoring. But actually, we're living in a world of unconscious bias. And if, if any of your listeners are going to read a book, apart from Sahar's, obviously, there is Caroline Criado Perez's book, Invisible Women. Brilliant. Thank you for holding that up. And in that, you know, just simple examples of we still have police stab vests that are not built for humans with breasts. I mean, honestly, how long have we had female police officers? It's bonkers. You know, mice are still, you know, male mice are still used for experiments. And that means that dosages for women the female form are way too high. You know, we are, and then you get onto corporate world and you don't even see the bias in those systems. You know, all the, you know, the things that women are just slightly excluded from, like golf, like, you know, oh no, I don't play golf, really. But unfortunately that's where all the big decisions are made or that's where the judgments are made or, you know, you know, it's so interesting. I saw this wheel of privilege the other day, which had if you're white, male, tall, from a public school education, that's the inner circle of privilege. So interesting. You start to then be um, slightly larger, shorter, female, ethnic, from an ethnic background, from a comprehensive school. You think, oh my goodness, the privilege starts to dissipate really fast. Oh my word. And I I think it's so interesting how one of the lenses that we have to put on things is 
you know, how do we break that circle of privilege? How do we make sure that people see beyond it? And yeah. I suppose that's where we're coming from, which is check your privilege and walk in the shoes, walk a mile in the shoes of someone who's not like you and you will see what life is like. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I think Invisible Women as a as a book, it, it, it was, I mean, it's, it's amazing when you start reading all of the back and you're just like, yes, I, th- that's why I can't see in a mirror in a hotel room. You know, I'm like five foot two, just these silly things. But, you know, so many day to day things that are completely invisible to you. When you read that book, it's like crazy, mm-hmm. crazy. Mm-hmm. And you know, one of the, the talks I heard you do, I think it was your computer weekly talk in 2017, you speak about those algorithms and the importance for having diversity and inclusion in tech so that there's the whole broad range of people in tech who are writing these algorithms that cover the whole of society and not just de- not just designing these, these tools and software and everything else for one part of society. Do you think then that in the tech world, there should be some sort of regulatory body that reviews algorithms and, you know, rather there needs to be some sort of positive discrimination in a sense. Yeah, I mean, I think they need to be confirmed as clean, shall we say, (laughs) however that is done. Now, one way to do it is to possibly, I mean, one of the amazing data scientists, Dr. Larissa Suzuki, she said, maybe it's an opportunity that for every pound of public money that's spent on building algorithms, we should insist that there is a diverse team creating, testing and implementing them, because that way all our voices are at the table. And do you know what? It's almost better to do it that way rather than give out penalties for bad algorithms, because actually... We, what we've got to do is to create a culture of doing the right thing. It's a bit like wearing a seatbelt, isn't it, now, where you know, no one sits at a traffic light as a policeman and says, right, Sahar, you're not wearing a seatbelt, I'm going to fine you. No, we don't do that. But it's socially unacceptable not to wear one. And I would love to get to a stage where we, when building algorithms, that it's socially unacceptable to do the wrong thing. And maybe it's diverse teams making up the designing, building, and testing and implementing of them that that will create that environment i'd much rather create the right culture than a penal system yeah yeah and you mentioned there as well about you know the privilege and white male private school privilege i think that for me was something that really stood out in the most recent vc reports came out with the stats that female founders 2.8 percent of female founders received funding 1p for 18 for every 89 pence male funding and and the thing is we're it's the same in other european countries it's the same in the states it's not that we are there there's anything different or, or but these VC funds are controlled by people who have a, a particular vision of the white male Mark Zuckerbergs that will give them the best return on their money and so we as, as women are trying to fit into that network in that in that process that clearly 2.8% is not working for us it doesn't work so we need to find our own way of doing it and that one of the, the long term goals of FFS is shift the paradigm. Let's find this community of women who are so intelligent and go, why are are we doing that? That's the old school. So that's really my long-term vision for for the FFS platform. So I guess what's my question? I'm just ranting away here. Sorry. So 
the networks that there's a lot of female networks that are coming out in communities that are building, which is great. And everyone seems to have a, a particular niche in how they're doing it. And I mean, how how can we make these networks more effective? How can we essentially join forces in that sense to be effective? I mean, certainly one of the things that's been perpetually missing is the ability to find stuff. And so, you know, why I suppose pathways and signposting is really important because everyone's doing great stuff. It's just how do we take it from the shadows into the light? How do you find it? So I think there's some kind of umbrella, some kind of overlay which says you know, this is this is the, I suppose this is the metadata underneath. Everyone's got, you know, pinpricks of ecstasy. How do we join them up? And surely technology has the ability to do that. So I think there is a tech solution in there somewhere. But also I think, you know, the end game is that female founded businesses are successful. So whilst, you know, we absolutely believe that more money should be invested in the funding of businesses, you know, there's also everyone can play their part in supporting female founders. And Sahar and I are going down the route of, you know, honestly, just buy their stuff. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Right? Yeah, no, absolutely. And just, I mean, saying very much supporting what you're both saying. I mean, it just sounds crazy, really, that kind of circle of privilege that Jacqueline called, because, you know, 50% of consumers are female. You know, if the consumer economy had a sex, it would be female. Women yeah. the purchasing decisions. So how in a VC you cannot have that 100% female perspective, which is really, I mean, you know, they forget about, it's all about selling stuff at the end of the day. And so if they don't have that perspective they they don't understand the product they don't understand you know that the word empathy you know is just so important and i know you know i work with big companies now you know they all want to be a bit more entrepreneurial more agile and and the key for them is exactly to move away from that circle of privilege and thinking oh you know that this is the way we operate and getting into the shoes of their customers which are yeah. Women, you know, and that's why the, these these are this is where diversity comes in because you know you've got to be able to walk a mile, as Jacqueline always the, the phrase she uses, in someone else's shoes to understand. You've got to be in the shoes of your customers to see what the external world is, and and that's just it's just it's just absolutely boggles my mind that it's still happening out there. And I mean, and and that and they're not embracing that sort of diversity as a sort of strategic imperative. Forget about you know letting women get ahead it's just it's not good business anymore i know i know you're, you're totally right and i think part of the, the problem is that there's not enough women in vc companies you know there's not lo- enough women in vc so they're, they're, they're not hearing the pitches so they have no understanding yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I distinctly remember when we went public at Coffee Republic, we had to have a board, and of course, the board was male. And I just remember the sort of dynamic of this male board, you know, and kind of very much kind of well done, little girl, you've started the company, but now it's a board. We discuss serious board stuff, grown up stuff. You know, we don't discuss the vanilla flavor and the cappuccino because, you know, we discuss the number, you know, and, and it's not like that, actually. You do discuss the vanilla yeah. flavor of the cappuccino because that's what the money comes in. So it's yeah. sort of, but it's, as you say, it comes to confidence as well that, you know, we've all got, all three of us have, three of us have now, you know, been there around enough to have the confidence, but how do we instill that in the younger generation so they can stay? Stand up. Yes. 
Yeah, exactly. So, Sarah, you mentioned there you t- you tapped into the the corporate stuff that you're doing, and I was really interested to to find out more about that because essentially you're taking startup mindset and culture into the big corporates. That cannot be easy. It's becoming increasingly um, easier. I remember when anyone could do it first came out um, a long time ago in 2002. And, you know, it was a great story. So kind of on the speaking circuit, I'd be asked to speak to large companies. And, I, you know, after they all heard me, there was always the joke was, oh, my God, they're all going to leave now and they're all going to start a business. <laughs> I can't believe it. Like, it's almost like we made a mistake. We got the wrong speaker. We shouldn't have had you. Or And then slowly it's this sort of conversation sort of change into oh wow actually a lot of the stuff you did a lot of the little bootstrapping and you know yeah. now making probably three called five the creativity not the creativity but just the kind of resourceful thinking and making things happen and getting this business off the ground is stuff we need to do you know the way you know something that really resonated with them was oh the way you always looked at your business as a customer as what you wanted you know that's something we need to do because we're you know we're not in our customers shoes so increasingly that that changed and people were like actually can you come and talk about entrepreneurial mindset to us and it's something I genuinely believe really passionately because I think you know you've got everything there it's just these little mindset shifts you need yeah. in a big company yeah. and it's amazing how you know far away the customer comes for example you know everyone's everyone's there they get the job because they actually cared about the ultimate customer be that a farmer or where yeah. slowly you get into the office and you know you're customers your boss and you're forgetting about who you're serving and and it's actually very unmotivating when your customer is your boss and all you're doing is trying to please your customer so you get you do better in the appraisal and keep your yeah. because you lose that purpose and i think purpose is a fundamental human need you, you know you want to feel like you're making a difference and i think connecting yeah. people back to the customer removing bureaucracy you know all these processes and systems yeah. Know. Which are, you know, they're like kind of literally like pouring cold water over people's humanity and passion. Exactly. <laughs> removing the bureaucracy, removing the this is how we do things, that biopic yeah. thinking, and really opening people up to be themselves, to bring their heart and soul to work, automatons, and micromanaging them. I think that's the new, the new way I think it's going to be. And introducing that intrapreneurial mindset, isn't it? You know, it's sort of giving people the power to think, how, how can I make this business better? And I, if I think about using a you know, user experience or customer experience, how can, we, how can we improve that? I think that's a huge uh, mind shift for people in corporates. I, I actually worked in public sector for a little while before I got into tech. I left law and before I got into tech. Well, that's actually how I got into tech. And I, I was asked to design a, something that allowed 9,000 members to put forward their ideas as to how to improve the customer experience, staff experience, and make better use of resources. And I hooked up with a startup in New Zealand, and we we designed a piece of software that was called an idea management platform, because only staff on the front line really know how to improve things for their specific customers, you know. And when you've got chief officers, you know, so high up that haven't been on the front line for such a long period of time because they've been so successful in their careers, they're very much detached from the user's experience on the front, you know, on the ground. So the staff who are on the ground know exactly how to change and how to improve the services and the business and give them the power to put their ideas forward and be implemented 
the momentum is is great and it and it shows belief in the staff as well. I think. And and the energy changes entirely. As um, yeah. as Sir Terry Leahy, the ex head of Tesco, used to say, by the time market research reaches the CEO, it's a fairy tale. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. That's very true. So I have two quotes for you, ladies. Um, Sahara, I love this one. Leap and the net will appear. I really like that. When did that uh, when did that come into to play? And uh, can you give me some examples of, of when that happened? Well, yeah, that, that is my kind of main quote, because I remember when I left the law firm, I had no idea what I was going to do. And I had the conversation with my brother around this sort of coffee bar I'd seen in New York. And I just just went in there and I just took that leap. And that's, you know, then I came across this quote, which is, in fact, by Julia Cameron in her book, The Art of Creativity. But what I loved about this book, and it actually especially resonates with the confidence bit about women. Mm. Women have very busy heads. You know, we're we're always having this inner dialogue. I, I don't know whether you find with the men in your lives, men are much more like singular in a way. You know what I mean? They think of thinking of a million things in our mind our minds are most extraordinary kind of make kind of whatever goes on in there and i think women spend they overthink let me put that in a simple way so for me the worst thing is you're standing on the ledge you know you want to do something but you're standing on the ledge and you're thinking should i should i not should i ask someone should I ask my mom should I ask my husband should i ask my best friend oh my god and it's really an awful place to be on the side of that ledge because you're looking and it's just it's terrifying because if you you're never going to do it so leap of the network fear is for god's sake don't look don't think just do it what can yeah. And the net is always somehow going to be there. So it's yeah. sort of literally, if I could tell every single woman I mentor or contacts me on social media is for God's sake, don't overthink, just start doing something, just get the flow going. Yeah, I really like that. I love that. And, and Jacqueline, the, one of your um, quotes, I laughed out loud. Again, this was your Computer Weekly talk. And you said, there's a special place in hell for women who do not help other women. I love that. Where did that come from? And was there many women in your career that could have helped you that perhaps didn't? Sweeping generalization, I suppose. And, and you know, I'm wondering, so, so let me tell you the origin. So Madeleine Albright said that. And I think probably Maya Angelou as well. Yeah. But, you know, there is something really special about women who are very generous with other women and lift each other up. There is, there are the exceptions who are not those people, but that's true of both both genders, I think, yeah. of, of all genders, I should say. And I, you know, I really rather feel that it is the exception. However, when you come across one, wow, yeah, it's tough. My advice: steer clear, find a culture <laughs> that will support you and serve you versus one that will tear you down. There's not a lot you can do actually when you no. come across that, other than give it a wide berth. Yes. It's mean. I just hope I would never that person. Yeah. I I mean, the only thing you do is just feel sorry for them, really, because I actually feel sorry for those women. Yeah. Or or people who can't share, because the gold's in sharing. So you can only sort of pity them, really. I know, but I think sometimes it's born out of terrible insecurity, actually. And when you frame it like that, then maybe there's a learn for yourself which is, do you know what? Get yourself a thought partner, a mentor, whatever you call them, just someone who will listen to you and just reflect on how you're doing as well because there are moments when we aren't generous. There are moments when we're generous because we like to be 
be seen to be generous. But, you know, I think those moments of generosity are, I don't know, when you go into the ladies' loo and you pick up that paper towel that's on the floor, you know, and no one's watching. You just make sure it, you left it better than it was before. And for me, that's it's the little things, the two millimeter adjustments that make all the difference to a magnificent world that works for everyone. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so we're going on to, we're just going to round up and then I've got like a couple of quick fire questions for you both. First of all, favourite book of 2020 or lockdown, should I say, because we've all must have read How to, How to Talk to Robots. Yeah. That's good. It's by Tabitha Goldstab and it is an amazing, it's an accessible, easy to read book about the world of artificial intelligence. And it just gives lots of different perspectives from different women uh, in tech and in business. And I would advise anyone to put it in their Christmas stocking. Great. Right. Great. Sahar? Gosh, I, you know, I always pick up all these sort of business and self-help books, but for some reason, the one book that's really been life-changing on a personal level for me has been Return to Love by Marianne Williamson. And oh, I love okay. that. Jacqueline, do you, do you know her books? I just like... I, I love that idea of, and it's about sort of us trying to control things and sort of slightly just living day by day, and which I think has become very relevant in COVID when we can't even know yeah. what's happening next week. So it's yeah. really helped me in that sort of confidence and the faith of just do do the right thing every day and don't worry about the future. Yeah. Don't look ahead too much. Love that. Yeah. I love that. And I do agree that during the pandemic, our values have shifted. Community matters more. Humanity matters more. Social connection matters more. We value it more highly. And I, and I love that. I hope that we retain that. I hope so. I hope so. One of the best books I read this year was Glennon Doyle, Untamed. Any of you read that one? No. Was it, it was, it was, yeah, empowering, I think. Okay, favorite piece of software or favorite app on your phone? Well, mine for sure is Google Keep. I just, okay. yeah, because it's a to do I recommend it to everyone. I've got to actually put it on my social media because then I can also, it's quite visual. And then I've actually, you know, you can have different colors. So I love that. And whatever I come across, I've got to read later or even a picture that inspires me is on my list. So it's kind of, it, it, it's good for the female brain because it's sort of, you know what I mean? It's not just a list. It's it's a list of a lot of things. So I, I, it's like a scrapbook. And I've got a separate one for home. I've got, do you know what I mean? It just, you can separate the, but you can see them all on one page. And then also yeah. when, you, when you tick them, you can see what you've ticked and crossed off so i love it it doesn't disappear so there's a sense of satisfaction good Jacqueline? mine has to be my podcast app because yeah. uh you know i don't know about you but during the pandemic just listening to other voices that i don't yeah. think i would have accessed before have just become super important it doesn't matter what podcast app you have by the way but i do think accessing other things has become more relevant it helped, yeah. it's helped me hear more diverse voices actually yeah and and in subjects that i never thought i'd be interested in so i don't know if you've watched the queen's gambit but chess is like you know it's just giving me whenever i have a conversation with my husband now just tongue-in-cheek i might say he might say what do you think about this and i'll say you know queen to night four or something (laughs) just to you know just to muck up uh the conversation a bit and it's just fun it's just chess i know do you have a favorite podcast 
Do you have a favourite podcast? Well, I mean, I probably, I, I, I will listen to Desert Islandists all day long, so Friday. But I, yeah. I love that because the combination of music, milestones in your life and yeah. sharing your, your story, that whole vulnerability as your fortress thing about Desert Islandists is just so fantastic. And I enjoy everybody's stories every week. So that would be my favourite probably. So how do you have a, do you listen to podcasts? Yeah, you have a favorite I mean, podcast? It gets absolutely intermittently. And I think Simon Sinek's got quite a good podcast. Oh, yeah. Like that. And the guy yeah. um, that wrote um, Billions, I forgot what his name is, but um, he's got a good podcast. But I also, I'm always on my YouTube and then yeah. randomly listen to stuff when, when I walk. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've got the next one is how do you stay informed but maybe that's through podcasts is there other 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 resources you use oh, yeah I, well I'm all over social side so Twitter for really early morning sort of you know breaking news but Radio 4 yeah. all day long actually for me yeah yeah yeah, yeah, um, yeah I try to stay I'm so, I only have Twitter as my news and um, my husband reads the papers every day and I we always have this argument I don't know why he reads them every day I tell him so I just listen to Twitter and then on I just read the weekend every and because I, I just can't do with like that much news yeah favorite instagram and twitter account yeah so instagram probably because i'm supporting my daughter at the moment as she's a female entrepreneur pivoting from theater into fitness so move my revolution on instagram okay. uh, please follow her and uh, stay healthy and twitter my favorite twitter account is the one gosh i'm trying to remember the it's so funny who told me about it it was liz Cantor told me about it and it's it's the twitter account where it judges the background to your zoom call or your online oh, really? video call it, it rates you out of 10 and it says oh god i'll find it for you but it's just so fun and i followed it the other day and i'm watching uh, everyone's backgrounds but hysterical <laughs> my, probably, my instagram probably is gary v gary v yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Oh God, absolutely. This time last year, actually, he invited me to do a day with him. And I don't know if you know him, Jacqueline, but he just, you know, he's someone that if you see him on, on, on the internet, you think, oh my God, this guy, like, why does he swear so much? And when he's, he's so full on, right? The most gentle, authentic, inspiring individual I have ever met. So I absolutely adore following him. And then on Twitter, I suppose to really confess, I quite like that Andrew Cotter and his dogs. I love Yeah. <laughs> I watch any dog videos. Yeah, I just wanted to come back on the on the Twitter account. It's so fun. It's called yeah. Room Rater, and it's at Rate My Sky Per Room. It's hysterical. I know. Yeah. So, last question: What's next for you guys? I know you spoke about something you guys were thinking about doing together. So, anything you can tell us would be much appreciated. Can we say watch this space because we were. So- yeah. difficult not to say anything about it yet but we're just until we launch it anything we're, we're resolved not not yet yeah. but, but I think we're really excited and I think it's definitely given me excitement and a sort of sense of purpose it's our sort of COVID baby I think <laughs> it, it, it is our COVID baby and it's very exciting to work with Sahar who has got you know an idea every nanosecond you know and, and with another co-founder Barney McCauley who is just a 
brilliant, what should we call him, storyteller. Yes, and creative, you know, and, and I think creative and great. I love teams whereby, and this is actually a good lesson for everyone listening is ideally your team should be exactly what you're not in a way. And I think the three of us come from completely different angles yeah. and you know, yeah. we hopefully will cover each other's gaps because I think, you know, we've each got a strength in a different area. And I think that's what makes it a lovely team where you come from completely different angles, but for this shared purpose, which I'm really excited well, what we'll listen or watch in anticipation of something awesome coming out from you guys then. Lovely. So that's us we're going to tie up for today. That was amazing. Thank you so much, honestly. It was really great to just to meet you guys and to chat. Yeah.